0: Thank you all for that. It is good to be in the Lord's house with you today. It's so good to see you all. And, and some of you, I've, you know, every, every time I, I come, you know, it's a Sunday or I meet other people and I've not seen folks in a while, I just get so excited to see your face because we had to go for so long without being able to do that. And uh, I love each and every one of you and I'm so glad you're with us today. Um, on Father's Day, you know, of course, we honor dads for their special role in our families and our communities, and, and naturally, I've been thinking a lot about my dad. My dad's birthday was on is on June the first, so um, so kind of from that June the first through today, I think a lot about my dad and um, some of the things that he taught me. And and I shared he I don't think you'd mind me saying this. He turned seventy this year, and so on his birthday, I posted on Facebook seventy things my dad taught me, and I just wanted to share a few of those with you this morning. And dad, if you're watching, I'm sorry that I told them your age, but How to change the oil on my car? How to change the tires on my car? How to do minor electrical work without killing myself? How to balance my checkbook? How to save, budget, be a good steward of my money? How to respect and care for and shoot firearms? How to play rook, checkers, chess, stratego? anybody ever play stratego? Do you know what that game is? It's a great game Uh, that you can actually watch a movie through your eyelids. That's an amazing thing. My dad does it all the time. <laughs> Read every sign in the museum. And I mean every sign. How to disappear from social gatherings that anybody noticing. My dad's like Batman. He's there, you turn around, he's gone. It's amazing. But beyond that, beyond those things, my dad taught me how to work hard. How to be responsible. How to love my family well and never stop learning. He modeled honesty and humility, courage, independence, trustworthiness, truthfulness. He shows me every day how to be a good husband and a good father, how to be a godly man who follows Jesus in just the day-to-day of life. He, I believe, has been a very faithful father, and I don't say this in a bragging way about the results, but I think he's been a very successful dad. And that's what I want to be. And that's what I want us to examine today. How can we be faithful, successful fathers and mothers? Uh, The the context in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Paul is speaking to both parents. So I want to include moms in this as much as I can because Paul is giving us here a warning. He addresses it to fathers, but again, I I think it can go to mothers as well. And then he gives us three imperatives. And they're all to help us to be successful, faithful parents who can raise our children in the ways of Christ. The first thing, the warning He gives us, is do not provoke your children. Do not provoke your children. Now, the NIV says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. That word exasperate can also be translated provoke. It means to stir up to anger. It's not just to annoy it's more than that, because I think I do that quite a bit. Right, Abby? I can be a little annoying sometimes. It's stirring your children up to anger. What Paul is warning us here is not to abuse our God-given parental authority. It reminds me of Jesus' instructions to his disciples about not lording authority over others. He says you should have a servant heart. Don't lord authority over others as the Gentiles do. Well, that includes our children. Like any resource, like I said, my dad taught me to be a good steward of my money. We should be good stewards, moms and dads, of our parental authority. And his book, The Disciplines of a Godly Man, which your deacons are reading through, studying through together this year. It's a great book. And in that book, Kent Hughes gives several examples of how we might misuse our parental authority, thereby exasperating, provoking, or stirring up our children to anger. I just want to share a few of those that he he mentions. Uh, The first is by having a critical spirit. We can provoke our children by having a critical spirit. Now, that's not to say that our children don't need to be criticized. We do need to criticize our children. But how we do that makes all the difference. Paul wrote uh, a companion warning to this one in Colossians 3.21. And Paul said, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Our criticism should always be done in a spirit of edification that seeks to build our children up, not to discourage them, not to embitter them, not to tear them down. When we do have to point out a flaw or a fault, which we should do, do it gently. Speak the truth, but as Paul says, speak it in love. We should never have as our aim in in being critical or disciplining to break our children's spirit, which is really what that discouraged means. If you discourage someone, you take the courage out of them. You remove encouragement. You dispirit them. That should never be our goal. We should never give backhanded praise. We have to be careful that we don't just criticize our children when they do wrong and never celebrate them when they do good. In his book, The Total Man, Dan Benson surveyed a number of families and found that for every positive statement made in the homes, there were ten negative ones. And dads, I get it. You know, there's just something about being a man, I think, that that we can have a very critical spirit sometimes. And I think that comes from, I know for me, a, a drive to want to fix things, right? I want to fix stuff. I want to I want to make things better. And so if I'm not careful, I just can be very critical about things that aren't done the way I think they should be done we need to we need to keep that in check and we need to learn to see the positive in our children we need to frequently praise them for their strengths and not just harp on them for their weaknesses okay a second way we can provoke our children is by being excessively strict Kent Hughes in the book that I mentioned illustrates this he, he uses a bar of soap and he says if you're trying to hold on to a wet bar of of soap and you grip it too hard what happens right? It slips out and it shoots away from you. And he says we should should hold our children firmly but gently, because if you hold them too tightly, they'll slip away from you. Martin Luther, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, he had a father that was so stern that, that he found it difficult to pray to God as our Father. So when he come to the Lord's Prayer, for example, our Father who art in heaven, he really struggled with thinking of, of God as a Father because that word had such a negative connotation. And he began to think of God as being forbidding and severe. Luther thought that it was wise to spare the rod and spoil the child. He thought that was good advice, but Luther suggested that you should keep an apple beside the rod to give to the child when the child does well. Don't just discipline when they do bad, praise them when they do well. We have to remember our authority as parents isn't for our own selfish gratification. It's for the good of our children. And so parents, we need to guard against making unreasonable demands or needless restrictions. I think sometimes maybe we're a little too quick to say no. And we need to stop and say, how much harm is there really in saying yes to to this request? And sometimes we do need to say no, don't get me wrong. It's not what I'm saying, but... I think sometimes we can sort of that become, become our, our, our gut instinct to just say no to things. And when we punish children too severely, we run the risk really of setting our children up for failure. I've seen this. You know, just in ministry, as a youth minister, I've seen this where a parent is so strict that their child basically gets to the point that they say, why even try to do what's right? Because I'm never going to make my mom or my dad happy. And that's what they do. They just stop even trying to do what's right. It's a wise parent who seeks to make obedience as easy for their child as possible. Don't make obedience as difficult as possible. And a third way we can provoke our children to anger is by being inconsistent. I mean, think about it. As adults, few things provoke us to anger as inconsistency, right? Right? I mean, we get frustrated. Maybe your employer plays favorites with certain employees. How does that make you feel? Angry. When the government does that, when the government treats different groups of people by different standards for political reasons, when laws and rules aren't enforced uniformly, when people don't practice what they preach, don't we get angry? Why would our children feel any differently? One particular way we might be inconsistent is that We might be holding our children to standards we don't even hold ourselves to. Now, we expect them to admit when they are wrong, to own up to their mistakes, to apologize, to rectify the situation. But moms and dads, let's be honest, how often are we willing to do that? We provoke our children to anger by our lack of humility, by our unwillingness to admit that when when we're wrong, that we become too proud to seek forgiveness. Whether that's forgiveness from your children or forgiveness from your spouse, your children notice that. But just think of what an example we could set when we show them how to take ownership for your mistakes, how to be humble enough to say, I was wrong, to ask for forgiveness, to grant forgiveness. We can model for our children that aspect of Christ. Avoiding provocation to anger, however, is only the first part of Paul's instructions for being faithful, successful moms and dads. After he makes this warning, Paul then goes on to give three imperatives. The first of those is sort of an umbrella, and then he explains that with the other two. The first is we need to nurture our children. Nurture them. Uh, The phrase, uh, bring them up, which is what the NIV uses, bring them up, in the Greek, that word contains the idea of nourishing or nurturing. Um, it's used in other places to talk about feeding livestock, and it's used to talk about tending a garden. So the idea behind all of that is that we are to help our children to grow up, to bring them up, raise them up, to grow them in a healthy way in the Lord. And of course, this involves their physical growth. It involves their their educational growth, but Far too often as parents, I think sometimes we're just content there. Our children are healthy, they're growing up, they're learning to be an adult, they're, they're a good student, they're not out there breaking the law. We kind of pat ourselves on the back. But we're, we're falling way short of, of the total picture here. We also need to be helping our children to grow up, yes, in character development, but also in spiritual growth as well. Kent Hughes, uh, in talking about this passage, sees in that word... Uh, a, a bit of tenderness there, in fact, in the Greek, that word was also used to talk about the general education of a child. so in ancient Greece, the whole course of training by which specifically a boy was raised up into a man was, was seen to be done with a, with a tender hand. Uh, one, one commentator noted this phrase included the wholesome restraints of a wise early education and all training in the direction of a modest unselfish, controlled life. All of that to say that we have to be tender and gentle in how we bring up our children. Men, you are never more godly, you are never more truly a man than when you're tender with your child. Whether that's holding an infant in your arms or snuggling on the couch with your grade school-aged kid watching TV or giving your teenage son or daughter a hug. They need to see tenderness from us, men. They need to hear tenderness from us. They need to hear encouraging words from us. They want to hear, sons especially, but sons and daughters want to hear from their dads, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're good. They need that blessing from us. So men, don't don't leave the tender love and the words of encouragement, don't leave the acts of affection to moms alone. Paul expands on this idea of nurturing our children in the Lord by giving us two specific ways in which we're to do that. Discipline and instruction. The NIV says training and instruction. Now, a lot of parents lose their balance, either in one direction or the other of that, right? I mean, some of us are really good about the discipline, when our children disobey, man, we're on them. And, and, and maybe we're good at that, but we're not so good at giving regular, positive, loving instruction in biblical truth. Others are quite skilled at that. They're good at giving encouragement and instruction, but maybe they're a little less willing to drop the hammer when their child disobeys or is disrespectful of authority. Paul says children equally need both. They need discipline and they need instruction if we are to nurture them, bring them up in the Lord. They need both. And specifically, they need both from their dads. As I've said, this passage applies to both parents, but as the spiritual leaders in the family, Christian dads especially, we need to play a major role in both discipline and instruction. Families suffer when fathers are absentee in their spiritual guidance. When dad only handles the discipline and they leave the instruction to mom, fathers, we need to be as involved as mothers in every aspect of our children's discipline and their spiritual instruction. Let's look at that first one. Let's look at discipline. He says, to nurture them with discipline. Now, this is a strong word. It means discipline even by punishment. It's the same word that Pilate uses when he said of Jesus in Luke twenty-three sixteen, I will punish him... And then release him. That's that same word, that word for punish. You know, maybe like me, you remember being disciplined as a child. Anybody ever have to go to their room? You know, anybody ever get grounded? Have those privileges taken away from you? Were you ever sent to bed without your supper because you'd been so bad? Uh, I, I shared, I had my fair share of whoopings growing up. Sometimes it was a fly swatter. Sometimes it was my daddy's belt. Even one time, I can remember my mama, and my mama was the most gentle, kind soul you ever saw. She had me go outside and get my own Switch once. I don't remember what I did to deserve that, but it must have been bad if my mamaw sent me out to pick out my own Switch. Kids, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents. Maybe they'll show you. Um, <laughs> a few times, I even had my dad, my dad had to pull over the car and listen if you ever had to make your dad pull over the car, I, that was bad news. You know, at the time, as a kid, I can remember, you know, sort of laughing at the idea that these punishments hurt my parents worse than they hurt me. You ever heard that? This hurts, this hurts me worse than it hurts you. Of course, I've now grown up, I'm a parent of my own, and now I know that that was a lie. Okay, it does not hurt me worse than it hurts Abby. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I understand. It is not fun as a parent to discipline. That's not something you wake up and just say, I hope my kid messes up today. I can't wait to discipline them. I mean, it's not fun. We don't like to do it. But I'm thankful that I had parents and grandparents who disciplined me and turned me from what I'm sure would have been a life of crime. I'm very thankful. And the Bible has a lot to say to us as parents about disciplining our children. And, and a lot to children about having the right spirit in receiving that discipline to help you grow up in the Lord. Just a few real quick. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. That proverb is basically saying, if you fail to discipline your children, you might just be a willing party in their death someday. You're literally saving their life by, by disciplining them. Proverbs 15.32, he who ignores discipline, so this kind of falls on the children, he who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. And so parents, when we discipline our children, it should always be for what reason? To help them gain understanding. You're teaching them something. It's not to make yourself feel better. It's not heavens to not get out your anger. Don't ever discipline out of anger. Always discipline intentionally out of love with an eye towards helping your children to gain understanding that will benefit them in life. Hebrews 2.11, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> hey, and that goes for us as adults too, right? You get pulled over and given a speeding ticket, that is painful. That is not pleasant. Especially when you have to then write that check and pay it. But later on, however... It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Peace. Did you get that? Look at that. Discipline produces practical righteousness and peace. Shalom, wholeness, well-being. That's what discipline did for me as a kid. I needed it. And I pray that that's what discipline will do for my daughter. Now, if we think of discipline as sort of the negative, right, as sort of the reactive tool in the parental toolbox, then instruction is the proactive, positive tool in the toolbox. And that's not to say that instruction is better uh, than discipline. Both are important tools, but they just are used for a different purpose, both for the same goal. So let's move on to talk about the instruction of the Lord. It's not enough just to correct our children when they do wrong, is it? We also have to provide verbal instruction and biblical teaching for our children. And that's in an ongoing way. That's in a daily way. That word instruction literally means to place before the mind. We're placing the truth of God before the minds of our children. And it carries with it also this idea of confronting. That you're confronting somebody with the truth of God. This is precisely where the Hebrew priest Eli was such an abysmal failure in raising his sons. Maybe you remember the story in 1 Samuel 3 when God speaks to the young Samuel there in the tabernacle. And what we, we, we read that story and we kind of end with the whole, Here am I, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm listening. Speak. Your servant is listening. We, we kind of stop the story there. But what God says to Samuel is that he is about to bring judgment on Eli and on his sons. God said in 1 Samuel 3, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. I'll leave that up there for just a second. That word, restrain, in the Greek Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament that Jesus and the disciples and the writers of the New Testament used was this Greek Old Testament. The Greek word used for that word restrain is the same word he uses for instruction right here in Ephesians 6.4. So this idea of instructing your children carries with this idea that you're restraining them. You're confronting them with truth, clear Forthright instruction is necessary if we want to successfully raise up our children in the Lord. And of course, this requires us as parents to invest. We have to invest time. We have to invest careful thought in how we raise our children. And as we know, thoughtfulness and time are in short supply these days, aren't they? But That's what it requires of us. I've mentioned this many times, but Deuteronomy 6 really outlines for us the best ways to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. We should, what it says is, we should be surrounding our children with God's Word. You know, it talks about putting them on your forehead and on your hands and taking them on the on the doorways of your house. We are to surround our children with God's Word, not just on Sunday mornings, not just in Sunday school, not just during BBS week. And, and, and listen, we should never leave the spiritual instruction of our children solely to Sunday school teachers and preachers and youth ministers. No matter how good of a job they do, that is not their primary responsibility. It's our primary responsibility as moms and dads. We need to intentionally, spontaneously be instructing our children in the Word of God. Deuteronomy 6 says, when they sit down and when they rise up. When they're at home, when they're on the road, at all times, at all places, watch for those teachable moments to instruct your children in the ways of God. That's one of the great things about our Faith at Home Center. um, And that's in the atrium. And I know the atrium may be someplace you've not seen in a while. So the atrium has this great display of uh, all these resources. But the good news is we have those on our website as well. And those are some great tools, moms and dads, grandparents, to help you in doing just this, to disciple, to instruct your children in the ways of God. What a powerful combination Paul has given us here as parents. Think of it, a solid, consistent discipline, working hand-in-hand with clear verbal instruction and all wrapped up in this idea of nurturing in in a tender and gentle way. That's a formula for faithful fathers and mothers, for raising our children to know love follow and serve Jesus Christ all their life. But we can't forget the key phrase, the very end of this. I don't want to leave this off of the Lord. Of the Lord. That indicates that although the instruction and the discipline is given by the parents, it proceeds from the Lord. Right? It is God who wants to nurture our children through us. We are his instruments. And that's an encouragement. I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like this, when I think about it, and I've been thinking about this all week as I've been preparing the sermon, it makes your head swim a little. It's daunting. What a huge responsibility that we have, that we are shaping lives. We are, we are pointing them in the trajectory that they should go. We're either setting them up for success or we're tripping them up for failure. It, it can be overwhelming. It is such a daunting task, such a high and holy calling, but what an encouragement to know that it is the Lord Himself who stands behind us as we train, as we disciple and instruct our children in Christ. If we are obedient to God, if we rely on His Spirit through prayer, if the content of our teaching comes from the Word of God, we can rest assured that it is the Lord Himself who is discipling, disciplining, instructing, and raising up our children through us. You know, Godly men who are much older and wiser than me warned me, while I was raising my daughter, that, that while you're in the midst of this, it may seem like it's taking an eternity. And, and mom's dad, you probably know, there were seasons that it felt like, oh my goodness, are we ever going to get past this phase, right? Are we ever going to get through this? But it is just a season. And I'm learning that. It's a season that passes very quickly. Now kids, I know that for you growing up, you know, you're 9, 10, 12, 15. I know growing up for you probably feels like it's taking Forever. But from somebody who's 44 years old now, let me tell you, it goes by that fast. I mean, it's like driving through Deering. You blink and you miss it. I mean, It it goes by so fast. And I know this makes me sound really old, but sometimes I sit back and I wonder, where has the time gone? Where is life going? I know some of you are thinking, David, you're just a kid yourself. What are you talking about? So whatever your perspective, I want you to understand moms and dads, boys and girls, I want you to understand this. Those childhood, teenage years, they are a time when lives are shaped and molded and nurtured. But if if we're not careful, it really can be a time when lives are broken, they're set up for failure, and they're neglected. It all depends on us, parents, the children, also on you. You've got a hand in this as well. In fact, most of the verses here in, in, in uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 are talking to you as children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. My dad always liked to point that out and say, so David, if you want to live long, you need to obey me. <laughs> so, yes, sir. That's right. And we'd, we'd laugh. He's he's a kid, but... Children, you should live out God's direction for your life. And you do that by embracing the life He offers to the fullest. So children, a word to you. I want to ask you to covenant, to enter into a promise to obey your parents in the Lord. Covenant with God that you're going to honor your father and mother. Truly, that it will go well with you. That God would bless you in your life on this earth. Someone paraphrased 1 Corinthians 13 for parents. I want to close with this. If I speak to my children with remarkable words of wisdom and have no love, I'm like a two-year-old banging on a dishpan. If I spend all of my salary providing the best for them, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love waits with incredible patience for children to develop self-discipline. Love does not puff up in arrogance and pride when an adolescent daughter tests the limits of her newfound independence. Love does not resort to violence when a teenage son talks back. It does not overreact when a child fails to listen or resents the rebellious youth who refuses to accept the message or the messenger. Love does not laugh contemptuously when the child gets what he deserves, but glows with pride at every small accomplishment. It carries its own burden, yet stoops to pick up a tired child. Love believes the best about each child, hopes the best for that child, and endures the pain inflicted by that child. Love simply never quits. God the Father is the model for us of that kind of never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And He demonstrated that love for us once for all time through the cross of Jesus Christ. My question for you this morning is, do you know God is your Father? as as whatever, maybe you had a great dad growing up, whatever was the best about your dad, God the Father is a hundred million billion times better than that. And maybe you didn't have a great dad growing up. And maybe you you carry wounds in you because of your father. Listen, whatever the wounds your father caused you, God the Father wants to heal by showing you the way a father always should have been. He loves you. He would rather spend, he would rather come down in the person of Jesus Christ and suffer the wrath we deserve for our sins, and die on the cross and spend eternity without you? Do you know God as your Father? Have you turned from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that you could be adopted as a son or a daughter into the family of God? If, if that's not you this morning, I pray you'll come down here in just a moment and say, David, I want to know God as my Father. I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ. and You can, you can experience that beautiful heavenly adoption right here today. Maybe for you, you need to publicly demonstrate that commitment through baptism. God has called you maybe to join this church and you need to come on a statement of faith or moving your letter from a sister church or even by coming to the waters of baptism on an upcoming Sunday to unite with us. I invite you to do that in just a moment. And moms and dads, I invite all of us to pray, to examine ourselves, and to commit ourselves to relying on God to help us to nurture our children, to discipline and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, none of us are perfect parents. None of us are perfect children. None of us are perfect brothers or sisters. We are all flawed and we are thankful that you are a God whose mercy is new every morning. You are the God of ultimate grace. And you stand ready to forgive us whatever our sins, whatever our offenses are. I pray you would help us to extend that same grace to others. And maybe there is a parent or a child or a sibling that we need to be reaching out to this afternoon. And we need to be apologizing and asking for forgiveness. Maybe we need to be the one to let go of the bitterness and the anger and extend the grace to someone else. I pray you'd help us to do that today. If there's anybody in this room today, Lord, that they have any question, any doubt in their heart, that they know your grace, that they've experienced your saving power in their life, If there's anyone here that doesn't know for certain that they are a son or daughter of God the Father, I pray they would come today to put their trust in Christ. If there's any, Lord, you're leading to unite with our church, I pray they would step out in obedience to unite with this family of faith. And I pray, God, you would help every one of us to go from this place to strive every day to rely more and more on your Spirit and the truth of your Word to be the kinds of husbands and wives, men and women, mothers and fathers you would have us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you sing, come as the Spirit of God leads you today.